Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, Screen the Screener listeners out there. We're so happy to have you tune in again. Mike and I are back and better than ever and back together. Mike, so glad to hear your voice. Say hello to the people out there. Oh, my friend, how is Maine? The pictures look good. We talked about it. You sent one out on Twitter. The beautiful off-the-grid nature in Maine. How was it? Uh, I, look, I don't, I don't mean to talk like personal stuff here, but it was amazing. Uh, like you mentioned, um, my favorite part of the vacation is when we drive down the peninsula that we go to, the XM satellite radio starts to like static and creak in and out. Um, and then once you get to our final destination, um, we are completely off the grid cell phone wise. So I had to like get to a spot to make sure I texted you and whoever else, you know, just to say like, hey, what's going on? I'm still alive. But I, I got to tell you, the girl, my girls loved it. Um, it was just very relaxing. So it was nice to get away for a little while, but I'm glad to be back with you and, and, and back in the fold and to talk some college hoops with everybody. Did you see any black bears? No, uh, our wildlife, uh, our wildlife spottings were, were tremendous right when we were leaving. Uh, we were leaving. Uh, I stayed with my uncle up there, so we we were we were packing up the car um, and walking down the little slope to the car from the house. And di- I'm not kidding. Directly overhead, it was not 20 feet away from where we were. Bald eagle, fish in claw, going to wherever it's gonna chow down and have some lunch on the fish. Um, we saw some seals. Uh, we saw some osprey. Uh, we saw some fox. We saw some skunk. Uh, no moose or bear, but um, everything else was uh, – the wildlife uh, viewing was at an all-time high. It was great. Uh, home run. Uh, That's home run, my friend. I'm glad. You refreshed and replenished you sound. I'm very excited to have you back here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a little refreshed and replenished. It's very nice to be back, but it was absolutely beautiful to get away. And, uh, you know, like we said uh, on previous podcasts, it's uh, it makes you appreciate – uh, what you're coming back to, but also like what you get away with. Uh, so it was very nice to get away with people that I was away with. So it was beautiful. Um, so I, I think, unfortunately for the listeners, not unfortunately, but I just think we're, I think this pod will take more of a somber note, and a, a somber tone, because I, 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 I don't know about you, Mike, but it feels like we lost two just enormous giants uh, in the recent times here, uh, losing uh, Coach Heathcote and, and Coach Massimino um, in such close proximity to one another. Uh, we figured, uh, listeners, we'd go through a little bit of uh, our remembrances of them in the college game and then give you guys a little rundown and just take you a little stroll down memory lane, if that's okay with everybody, and then we'll hit up some other things along the way. Um, Mike, uh, Judd Heathcote, uh, Michigan State great, uh, retired to the Spokane, Washington area. Um, do you have a couple things off the top of your head that uh, that you're thinking about about uh, Coach Heathcote uh, remembrances and, and and things that would maybe stir some memory in some in some people's uh, you know back annals of their brain? Yeah, definitely. And I, listen, I know this is a somber thing, but life's about celebrations and memories, and we're going to celebrate the lives of these two phenomenal coaches. They've had a massive impact on, on so many student-athletes and on the schools they coached on and on the larger college basketball community. So while it is a sad day, for sure, uh, definitely is, it's something that, that we're going to celebrate and we're going to talk about some great things here. So let's talk about Coach Heathcote. 
Gus, did you know he coached high school in Washington State for 14 years? I found that odd. 14 is a long time to coach high school. You know, you say you coach five, you coach six, and you make the jump. He coached 14. So that means he's 36 years old, Gus, and he's and he's making the move to college. Uh, that, I thought that was interesting. It, well, he was invested in a profession, no? I mean, obviously, he showed love for what he was doing. He made a connection to his student athletes, no matter the level, whether it be high school level or uh, collegiate level. Um, so I, I think it just showed a commitment. And plus, like, obviously, he loved living there. So, like, if you love what you're doing and you love where you live, like, why change things up? So that makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't I don't that doesn't like stick out as an anomaly to me. That that seems like uh, he made a good life choice thing to me. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me reminisce about uh, full disclosure, folks. I, I used to coach high school basketball and uh, there is always a time when you're coaching high school basketball that you do consider making the jump to college. And yep. Gus, I'm going to say I was 32. I'm going to say somewhere around there. No, probably 30. I probably actually 30. Um, and you're going to remember what I'm going to say. We won't get into it now. But right. uh, there was a story when I went to the Elite Eight with some of my friends where that moment presented itself. And I just couldn't walk away from my current job in the middle of the responsibilities to do it. And that's what it would have taken to do. But um, it's just interesting. So I, I, when I was looking up this up, I thought about that because he made the jump and he made the jump from high school in Washington, Gus, to Washington State as an assistant for seven years. So he stayed within the state, obviously had a reputation, right? I mean, you can see this happening. Then he needs a job. Okay, he wants to be a head coach. He decides to go to Montana for five years. Now that's the move, right? And that's the big decision you're going to have with coaching. It would be very nice if you grew up in the state of New York and then you ended up coaching in high school and then you went to Stony Brook and then you went to St. John. But that doesn't always happen that way, no, right? No. That path does not always present itself. Well, he coaches at Montana for five years. And what does he do, Gus? He wins two big sky titles in 1975 in uh, 19, yeah, 1976, back to back. Back to back. And then right after that, the question is, where is he going to go? Well, here comes Michigan State and Michigan State comes a calling. And there you go with Coach Heathcote, who ends up going to Michigan State and coaching there from 1976 to 1995 when he retired. What did he do while he was there? Well, he did a heck of a lot. He ended up, of course, winning the national title with Irvin Magic Johnson. And this reminded me, the reason that Irvin Magic Johnson, and he could have went anywhere he wanted to, Magic, the reason yep. that he ended up going to uh, to Coach Heathcote and the Spartan program was very simple, because Judd told him that he could play point guard. Yep. It's really that simple. And you know what, Gus? Sometimes you got to realize that it's not about being a dictator. It's about doing what's right and I think he should get credit for that decision. So after that, he had two Big Ten Coach of the Year honors, 1978 and 1986. He had three Big Ten titles, 78, 79, and 90. Of course, the NCAA championship game in 1979. Tremendous career. So many people came out and talked about him. Izzo said he is Spartan basketball. And sure enough, after he retired in 1994-95 season, he was followed by Izzo. Michigan State always stays in the family, right? Who had And Izzo had been his assistant for 13 years, which I think Gus also said something. Izzo, a talented coach in his own right, beyond talented, stays there for 13 years as his assistant. Reeks to me, first thing that came to mind, Mike Hopkins with Bayheim. Problem mm-hmm. is Hopkins doesn't want to wait anymore. And I don't know, Gus, with the millennial generation, if people would wait 13 years. But sure enough, it worked out for Izzo. Michigan State has the stability, uh, has the uh, stability, 
God bless uh, Coach Heathcote. Uh, hopefully he's in a better place right now. I'm sure he is. But we remember him with a great impact for the Spartan basketball program and laid the foundation for what I think should be, Gus, I mentioned in the last podcast, the number one team in the country coming into the season. <laughs> I love that you brought it full circle. <laughs> nice. That's phenomenal. Um, and just a couple of things on my end. I think uh, it, it, it's possible. And I know that other people have mentioned this, but I was thinking this immediately uh, upon hearing this news is that he's the winning coach in possibly the most important basketball game like ever played. He defeated like one of, I don't know, what do you want to say? The top five, six best basketball players of all time in Larry Bird uh, in one of the most important college basketball games to win a national title for Michigan State and uh, Irvin Magnus Johnson. And so I, I think as as fondly as he'll be remembered, like you'll look at his win totals and his win total at Michigan State and overall might shock you because it's lower than, as you mentioned, like Coach Beheim, uh, Coach K, Roy Williams. Uh, for the next crew that's coming up and going to challenge those numbers, uh, Coach Cal. Excellent point. Gus, excellent uh, point. Self. Coach Few. Excellent, excellent point. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Four, 419 wins, 274 losses. Yeah. Very good point. He, his numbers are not going to match those greats, but he needs to be mentioned with them because of all the things that you just said and also because of his uh, commitment to coaching itself. He's a great teacher. He's a great coach. Uh, I'm sure he was a great dad, a great granddad. Um, and, um, it, it doesn't go without notice that you, you, we mentioned initially, and we mentioned this for a reason, that he coached high school for that amount of years. When you coach high school that amount of years and you stay in your program for the amount of years that he stayed at Michigan State, and you have people like Coach Izzo that stay with you that amount of years, you mentioned 13 years, that speaks to what type of teacher that he was. Uh, that speaks to how great he was to his student athletes. And you know what the cool thing is gonna be about this? As always, we're going to dig up an amazing story from not Magic Johnson, from not a great, you know, Michigan State Spartan, from not Coach, uh, Coach Izzo. We're going to dig up a, a great story from a ham and egger, the 10th man on the team, where Coach Heathcote treated him as great as he treated Magic Johnson or any other superstar. And that's going to pop up and you're going to be like, yep, that makes perfect sense. So, again, an amazing teacher, an amazing coach. Uh, hearts go out to uh, Spartan Nation, and, uh, you know, we lost a legend. For sure, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, gosh, he had the impact, though, you know, and, and all you can add. You're going to be a college basketball coach, and you're able to have the impact that, that Judd Heathcote did. I think you did the right thing. And yeah, you did, did right by the student-athletes, and that's what matters. And – Unfortunately, we're just going to go back to back here, and we're going to bring up Coach Massimino next. Uh, Rolly Massimino, of course, uh, the legendary Villanova coach who pulled one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Which, Mike, I hope that you're ready to go off on. Um, do, do we have three hours? <laughs> just to lift the curtain a little bit, um, part of Mike and I's relationship is partially based on the Villanova upset over Georgetown. I mean, that that was one of the the, the criteria that we had to talk about. Um, when we got to know each other uh, all the way back in the day when, you know, we were little kiddies uh, growing up and, and, and learning to love the game of basketball. Um, but again, 
Coach Massimino, much like Joe, uh, Coach Heathcote, master teacher, and his stops along the way kind of tell you the type of coach and type of teacher that he was, uh, and show that it's never too late to you know learn something new as a head coach or as a teacher or as a leader of a program and try to figure some new things out. So, uh, Mike, I'm going to give you the floor here as far as Coach Massimino and his performance. Uh, at Villanova, especially in that title game against Georgetown, Patrick Ewing. You know, it's a great, and that's right. This is right when when Gus and I uh, met each other, and we're sitting there, and Gus is Mr. Cool, and I'm a Hager and glasses on in middle school, but. Not not necessarily, not necessarily true. But, uh, well, somewhat true. Maybe I didn't wear the headgear out. Maybe I only wore it at home. But still, uh, yes, this was a big one. And Gus and I love basketball. We were basketball junkies. But this game, folks, was bigger than life. Let me go quickly through before we get into there about Coach Massimino. Similar right. tree to Coach Heathcote. High school assistant coach for three years. Then high school head coach for three years. Then switched to a larger high school for four years. Then he went to Stony Brook, started in Stony Brook. Uh, totally yep. uh, connected that from before for two years. Then he makes the jump to the Ivy as the pen as an assistant. And then he's at Nova and he's at Nova for 19 years. Uh, he ended up going to UNLV for a little bit. He replaced Tark for a while. And then he went to Cleveland State and, and, and Norwood, uh, Florida school as well. Uh, ended up, he played at Vermont, ended up 816 wins, 462 losses. Uh, just so many great things here about, about Coach Raleigh. Six-time Sun Conference regular season champion uh, from 2007 through 2013. That was at the Northwood Florida School. Yeah, that's what that's at the end of his career. End of his career. Two-time Big East regular season, 82-83 Villanova. Uh, just a fantastic job. And then, of course, the NCAA Division Championship. And he's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, as is Coach Heathcote. But you can't talk about Raleigh, Gus, without talking about that game. And, and the issue was Villanova was an eight seed. And they ended up making it to the Final Four. And the issue was there were three Big East teams there at the time. There was St. John's, there was Georgetown, and there was Villanova. And Georgetown was really the creme de la creme, right? They had beaten Houston the year before, dominated them, okay? And then Back-to-back championship games. Yeah, a lot of back-to-back there, right? We talked about Guy Lewis on an earlier podcast. So Guy Lewis had the the situation with North Carolina State in 83. Then he makes it back to the final, but he runs in a Hoya paranoia with Patrick Ewing, right? And then here comes Georgetown again, and everybody thinks they're going to smoke Villanova. Now, Villanova had played him tough during the year, but they were still an eighth seed. A couple things to remember about that game in 85, Gus. Number one is no shot clock. Shot clock came in the next year, 45 seconds. They shot 78%. From, Talk about cause and effect. There. Oh, yeah, seriously. And it's funny. You know, I watched it. I watched a little bit of it. I just watched it on the, on the YouTube there. Right. It's just funny. Like, I'm sitting there going, what, what, when did they shoot? Well, it's very simple. Like, you know, you realize, folks, when there is no shot clock, and we have some younger listeners here, it doesn't mean like you take four shots a game. You know, they were coming out. Uh, Georgetown came out at one three one. Okay, so they were trying to trap the corner, so ball's getting passed around a little bit. Pinckney and McLean and the other McLean and Dwight Welber and Harold Jensen in the baseline corner. Okay, and right. and, and short, they were short tw- porch, right? Yeah, go, yeah, right. short porch. You know, getting the gaps, dump it off to McLean inside, up and under, whole thing. And they were twenty-two of twenty-eight from the field. Gus, they shot seventy-eight percent, and they ended up winning that game in one of the biggest upsets ever. Reggie Williams was a star for for Georgetown. Got in foul trouble early, got a foul right away. Yep. Uh, over the back, things like that. And that was it. It was Pinckney and McLean were dominating inside and Harold Jensen just could not miss. That's what it came down to. And it was a great win. I watched it. My dad made me go to bed. 
I woke up the next morning. I think I said this on a podcast months ago. He, uh, I said, you have to tell me who wins this game. He taped it for me. Gus, he taped it for me by putting a video camera in front of the television. Okay, Stop so it. Yeah, that's true. I still have the tape. Not. I have the tape at home, 100%. And then I woke up and there was toilet paper hanging outside my room with Vs on it. That's how I learned that Villanova beat Georgetown. But tremendous game. Raleigh's in history. Great win for Villanova. Jay Wright said some really nice things about him. You know, was was one of those old school Luke Carnesecca guys, right, Gus? Where he, you know, he touches the hair and he scratches the hair. It's all over the place, and the ties a mess. But he loved Italian food. He was doing commercials. Was a, was a larger than life star, and and we're gonna miss him for sure. But that was one of the greatest games, maybe the greatest game that I've ever seen. You know, we it, it, it's not ironic, but it, it does bring it like a little bit full circle. Where you know we're talking about possibly two of the greatest college basketball games ever played for a championship, right? Like, of course, that, that, that bird magic game um, with Michigan State and Indiana State, unbelievably iconic. And, and, and you bring up one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history with Villanova as an eight seed overtakes uh, Georgetown, who had been everybody's darling the whole entire year as the one seed. Uh, coming in, and it's just interesting how we're bringing up both of those games in one particular conversation about two unbelievable coaches. Uh, just a couple more things about Roley. You know, you mentioned that Roley went to UNLV afterwards. It's a tough act to follow, and you know we don't want to bring up, we don't want to be, uh, you know, naysayers or or be buzzkills on this. But one of the things that ran into uh, Roley ran into in UNLV was like his salary issue of how much he got paid to be coach. But yeah, I always yep. thought. I always thought of it as like the John Conkac like corollary is like if you're John Conkac and, and, and the Atlanta Hawks offer you that much money, what are you going to do? Say no. No, you're going to say that sounds great. Where do I sign? And I'm course. sure Roley said the exact same thing, right? Yeah, he said it was a side deal. That was I was reading online. This is some side deal with the president, whatever it was. Yeah. It doesn't take away from anything. One more thing I forgot to say, Gus, also, how did I forget this? There's no three-point line in that game. True. And that, and that's and here's the thing. You can say the three-point line was in. I think it helps Villanova because Harold Jensen wasn't missing. So uh-huh. I, I don't think, you know, so if that just really was a critical game, right, in so many ways because no shot clock, shot clock came in next year. No three-point line, three-point line came in shortly thereafter. Villanova, Georgetown, Patrick Ewing, Raleigh, the ties off, just great stuff. And you're right. I, to me, he ended up on a great note. I, I don't think, you know, I'm not going to go into whatever UNLV, whatever. I mean, whatever yeah. it is, it is. No, I don't think no, no, it's anything no. illegal. I just think right. there's a disagreement over salary. Uh, agreed. And then uh, at Cleveland State, uh, he hit a little road bump as a coach. But then, as you mentioned, when he went to um, Florida, he went to Kaiser University. He, do you realize down there, um, and you mentioned the number of conference titles that he wins, he had an 82 percent winning percentage there. wow no i didn't know that oh wow that, that with over 200 wins there yeah, so nice. like he just like got it back rolling and got things clicking and he had the kids buying in again master teacher master coach um obviously his student athletes bought into him so it was cool to see like after a couple of not missteps but just maybe a little bump a few bumps in the road in his career he got things right again and then um i'm not sure if you noticed uh, uh during the end of his career they played uh, an exhibition at uh kentucky towards the end of his career right when coach cal was starting the coach there um and they put up a whole video montage of his career uh, of course the villanova game and 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 he got a standing ovation from the crowd there yeah, that's awesome which was really cool so total class move out of coach cal and coach cal showing again like he gets it um 
and, and isn't too big and isn't like too full of himself. So I feel like he got a, a great send off there in one of his final years as being coach. Um, so again, not to be totally somber and, and, and a little downer on the, on the screen to screener podcast, but I, I, we would be remiss as a college basketball podcast if we did not reminisce and talk about um, both coach Heathcote and coach Massimino um, uh, upon their passing. And, and of course our prayers, good vibes and, and good thoughts to, all of their families and friends and uh, both programs uh, that they represented so proudly um, during their careers. Uh, George, uh, Villanova 25 and 10 that year, Georgetown 30 and 3, and Gus, uh, one of the greatest names, I wish I could change my name, uh, bench player for Georgetown that year, Horace Broadnax. I mean, I I, I would I imagine we're, we're listening to the Screen to Screener podcast with Gus Kearns and Horace Broadnax. I mean, it's just I, a great name. I wish my name was Horace Broadnax. I mean, more people would tune in oh, for sure. <laughs> if somebody was named Horace Broadnax, if we had him as a special guest, that'd be amazing. We I got to get him on the pod. What a great name. Horace, a sensitive subject. 1985, your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he had some friends on the Villanova, on the Villanova roster. I don't know. Perhaps. Horace, Horace, do you wish you dropped down a little quicker on the weak side of the one through one to Harold Jensen? <laughs> Do you wish your shot, your side shuffle was a little quicker to close and contain? <laughs> well done. Well done. Box out Gary McClain all night over the back. It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one, three, Dwayne, one. Dwayne McClain. Dwayne McClain. Definitely had some, uh, I mean, I, I mean, as we saw when we played the one, three, one and we got, and we, um, had our offensive sets against the run one, three, one, I can still remember. I think when we, when we were in high school, a team played one, three, one against us and they, uh, Again, this is so unimportant. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I had my career varsity high in yeah. that game. Oh, I when, remember that game. Because they, yeah. they, they totally left me alone in the short porch. And I was just like layup after jump shaft after layup. That was crazy. And that's because Gus, folks, was smooth as silk. He's a very clutch guy, very clutch player. Could hit three-pointers with people running in his face. I myself, my solution to the 1-3-1 was to get the ball up fast enough that it couldn't get set up. Because once it got set up, all, all chaos went. I would just find Gus and right. give him the ball. Um, but <laughs> in different strategies, I'm going to go and sprint up the court, Gus, and God help me if they set up. So just trail me here, and I'll kick it back to you for three. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I can still remember that game. Um, that, 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 that's hilarious that you bring the 1-3-1 and that popped into my head. Um, and and uh, uh, listeners, stick with us here. We're, we're going to go over one more uh you, you know, not not again. We don't want to be total buzzkill, but again, we, it, it needs to be mentioned. One of the things that um, we know that you guys come to this podcast and other podcasts and listen to sports radio and watch sports is to get away from the uh, minutia, the the downtrodden everyday things that 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 are real and and matter and are close to your hearts and and impact your lives in every way. Um, and, you know, we start off the podcast saying like, oh, you know, it's so nice to get away with some of the family and, and, and get off the grid and, and be uh, just in the moment. Um, so, again, we don't want to necessarily keep bringing that up. But sometimes these lines, these lines do blur and they do cross over. And one of the places that that's happening is definitely Houston. And another thing that we would be remiss to talk about um, is the crisis in Houston. Um, uh, I, I know that I texted a couple of friends that I have in Houston uh, to make sure that they're okay, they said they're safe and are, sh- or, you know, they're rattled and, and and broken up over what's happened in their neighborhoods and so on and so on. Um, but we wanted to champion uh, somebody and single out somebody, uh, a program uh, initially, and then you know just talk about how America is great, how many people are are stepping up to the plate to help out. Um, Calvin Sampson, 
the Houston head coach, head coach. This might be exactly what he needs to get rid of his past sullies and violations and dumpster fires and poor pathways and previous stops like in Indiana and so on and so on. Um, the the simple note that he sent out and the response that he's gotten um, from various uh, college, high school, and all levels of sports programs to send in supplies to help out people in Houston with sneakers and T-shirts and so on um, has been a little bit overwhelming, I think, for uh, Houston University and uh, Houston in general. Um, and just to give a little rundown of Kelvin Sampson, um, that you know, before uh, when when you bring him up, you're like, oh, like, well, well how did he end up at Houston? Um, it, we'll just hit the rewind button a tiny bit. If you remember, he 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 was he might have been the last coach to get Washington State to the dance in 1993, 1994, and that's like that's doing something. You can ask any Beaver fan out there; um, they probably still remember that year if they were alive. Um, and they have another shot this year with Coach Tinkle, um, but um, Coach Sampson was one of the uh, was the person responsible for getting them to the dance that year. Um, he was national coach of the year at Oklahoma in 1995. He made a Final Four in 2002, uh, something that many coaches are still hoping to obtain, like Coach Miller and Coach Mack. Um, you know, Coach Few got that monkey off his back this particular year, but Coach Sampson has been there. Um, then he went on to Indy, um, and then he had what some might be referred to as like the the you know the, the career death knell. He had the show cause limiter, a five year limiter. Um, and lots of times after this gets put on a coach for violations, it, it's hard for them to get another sniff. Um, he had a couple NBA stops, one of those stops with our, our team, one of our favorites, the Bucks. And uh, luckily, Houston came calling uh, after Tom Penders got things up and rolling in the right direction and, and gave uh, Samson another shot. And then here he is after two 20-win seasons, both NIT gigs, a player drafted in the NBA. He's got a possible player of the year in Gray coming back. Uh, for the conference. Um, and strangely enough, like he's the centerpiece now for one of the, one of these, uh, reclamation projects uh, at Houston and, and, and his outcry and his, uh, request for a simple thing as shoes and, and, and shirts has been unbelievably well received by the nation. Um, we'll talk about a couple other guys, but, uh, Mike, like how, I mean, like, lacrosse teams, um, high school teams, non-basketball entities are sending things to Guy V. Lewis Arena so Houston can then put these supplies in the people of hands that, that need it. It's crazy. Yeah, we pray for everybody in Houston. What's going on down there is 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 nuts. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where you, you just don't expect it. I mean, the last time they had any sort of rain, I think, that was even in the ballpark of this, something like 25, 28 inches, was 1970-something. So right. you just don't think it's going to happen. And then it's there and it's happening and you're stuck. So I've seen pictures of coworkers, people that are trapped in buildings. So we pray for them. J.J. Watt, somebody in the NFL, has done a great t- – raised $10 million. We're just going on Twitter. It's insane. But I, I agree with you. To take this back to basketball, and obviously we hope everyone is okay, um, but just to analyze it from the college basketball perspective because that's what we do, I, I think Kelvin Sampson deserves a chance here. People deserve second chances. People make mistakes. They do things in life. This is what happens. Uh, Bruce Pearl had show calls with him with the whole thing that went down in Tennessee. Um, so, good call. Good call. you know, Kelvin Sampson can do some really good stuff here in, in Houston. And what happens in these situations when something, you know, like a Katrina happened in New Orleans 
you know, or, so, or the 9-11 that happened up here. You know, sports can often rally people around things. It gives them a break. It gives them a reprieve. Remember the Mike Piazza homer around here, Gus, for that one was certainly huge in 9-11. And the Saints had a big, you know, celebration when they were playing football again. So, you know, obviously we pray that everyone's okay and that things get better. But certainly this is a chance for, for Coach Sampson to do some things for the Houston community, to maybe get the Houston basketball team, you know, back, you know, continuing in the right direction and get them some positive things to cheer about and get their mind off of these horrific events and mother nature is just devastating the area so i agree with you i think he's got a chance here to do some some things the show cause thing existed they've moved on now and there's a fingers crossed that uh, that he does some great work down in houston and I, I think this goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier like it, it's never too late to get it right and 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 this is a another uh you know this is another example of like a person that may have made bad decisions or just get caught in a bad situation. And now he has the opportunity to get it right. And he's getting it right in such a big way. It's refreshing to see. It's, it's unbelievably uplifting that this, this many people, and he's had such a big response for this. Um, And much like we started the conversation with this unfortunate mother nature uh, event, sports helps lead us out of it as well. Um, As much as, as devastating as it is, like people will find a sporting event or, or whether it be Chris Paul donating a ton of money or, or, or JJ Watt, like you mentioned, or even Disney on its own, uh, you know, donating over a million dollars. Um, like people will find something to distract them. And most likely one of those options for that distraction is going to be sports. So hopefully, you know, Gabby Lewis arena, is absolutely bombarded by fans once the season starts and everybody can get behind the Cougar basketball program because the Cougar basketball program has gotten behind the city of Houston in a time when they needed it the most. So it's it, that part of it is uplifting and that part of it is optimistic. So um, again, like you said, prayers, thoughts, good vibes to everybody down there that's battling and and not finding their way and, and hopefully everybody finds their compass and, and gets the help that they need. So we're, we're praying for those people down there for sure. Great way to say it, Gus. Never too late to get it right. Well done. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of never too late to get it right, uh, I think the last place that we'll hit up today um, is the Hamiltonian path that Mitchell Robinson still is taking. Right, Mike? This is this – is, the story just keeps getting like bendier and bendier, doesn't it? Um, it seems like he's on like some sort of like – I don't know, like some sort of like two-week bed bender um, that he can't fight his way out of and he just keeps getting like, hey, come on over here and try this. And then he's pulled over in that arena and then he's trying that and then – that's not a, he doesn't think that's a good idea. So then he goes in and tries something else. Um, so in order to get the story straight, we'll try to run it down for you and, 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 and give you the update on, on where it's at. And then, um, we'll try to, you know, decide good decision, bad decision along the way. Uh, so it starts out, uh, Mitchell Robinson's like a top 10 ish recruit for this particular upcoming college basketball season. And he enrolls in Western Kentucky, go Hilltoppers. Awesome. Um, it's always interesting uh, and worth following when a very high-level recruit doesn't go to one of the Blue Bloods. Uh, we'll get into this, like, where they should go a little bit later. Uh, but that automatically caught everybody's attention. Um, 
we talked about the Shimon Williams connection of uh, Shimon Williams, a former UNC guard, uh, being his godfather and was on staff there. And then he uh, uh, left as an assistant coach at uh, Western Kentucky. And then soon after, after taking a few summer courses and practicing with your team and building some locker room karma, he just packs up his room in jets and nobody is sure of his whereabouts, right? Which is like bizarre. Like, Mike, think of like your freshman year um, and you're getting, you know, you're practicing with your team and taking some classes and, you know, trying to get to know your teammates and your captains are, are busting your chops and, and um, you're nervous about the professor that seems really tough. Uh, so it's like all these cool, all these like interesting things uh, that you're excited about freshman year, and then like why would you get up and go? It just seems so odd, right? That part. I mean, what what was your what would like just reflecting upon back upon like your situation, like doesn't that seem doesn't that seem just like a a, a very odd choice on his part? Yeah, freshman year is a tough year, and it, you know you go there and you're away, and then you don't have the right fit or the coaches. You know, you it's you know you're homesick. Uh, who knows? I mean, it can be a lot of things. Yeah, but I'll tell you this, Gus. I mean, Mitchell Robinson will get it right, and and I hope everything works out at Western Kentucky. And you know, the kids go through things. But if I see anybody telling me he's being picked in the top five draft i'm gonna lose my marbles because you cannot tell me that an nba team gus is not gonna look at this and this is gonna hurt him and, and look, i don't want i know he's 6 11 he's jonathan isaac i know okay i, I know it's coming but i'm just saying right, this right. may hurt his draft stock a little bit and listen if he has a phenomenal season they'll forget about it but it's a tough time these are kids and that goes back to something i had said a while ago right. i don't know if they're emotionally ready i mean gus could do you think mitchell robinson would be okay going to the Portland Trailblazers next year at the age of 19 if he's picked late in the first round. Is that a quality decision for a guy who just came and went with, with no comment from Western Kentucky to New Orleans? Is, is that what we want to do? Or maybe he has some emotional maturity to go through, which is very normal. But I just think there's a component that these are kids and you see them out there dunking and you think they're like 26-year-old guys. They're not. So understandable social media is going to pick it up let's hope he you know he found his way back and you know gets on the court and gosh you know the way it is man first time he puts up 20 and 10 like no one remembers this but it's I, true. I, I still i still think it's gonna hurt his draft stock a little bit right now i mean i say uh, the draft tomorrow gus i don't know if you're drafting him but yeah it's fine I, I i agree with you i just want to get your take on that particular part of the story and then we'll just run through the rest of the story so once he uh you know once coach stansbury and um the western kentucky staff realizes he's left uh campus he then receives an, a, a suspension from Western Kentucky from Western Kentucky for his actions, even though he's clearly nowhere on campus. Which again, it just adds to the oddity of this adventure that he's on. Um, uh, he then goes and I just want to announce, Gus, right now. I'm sorry. I just want to announce, I am suspended from Gonzaga's campus right now. So I'll let you know that. <laughs> Well, that makes sense because you left them out of your top 25. What are you doing? God, I'm also suspended from St. Mary's because they're afraid I'm going to go after Jock Landell when I'm there. <laughs> just don't hurt him don't foul him he, he did you see he was on the cover of don't foul team? him i think he fouls enough people doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to just back to mitchell robinson very funny um back to mitchell robinson he 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 they give him his release western kentucky does uh which i guess was the right move he explores the transfer route he visits he visits both uh kentucky and new orleans campuses um uh then that is put out to dry then we have the overseas play 
it's floated about. Perhaps uh, you know the Brandon Jennings route, or perhaps the uh, Yona Bolden route from 2017. Remember, Yona Bolden played at UCLA, then went to play overseas, and then got drafted this particular year. Um, so maybe he was going to go that way. Maybe go Euro. Um, then we hear that maybe he's going to sit out the year to prep for the 2018 NBA draft. I, I mean, it's just decision after decision. Again, he's like ping-ponging around like when you're playing pinball and you, and you get the ball up into the bumper section and it's just like bumpering around like crazy. And it just seems like every single one is like lighting off a different light. And that light is like, sit out for the year, uh, transfer to Kentucky, uh, transfer to Kansas, uh, go overseas, bing, 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 bing. And you're just racking up millions of points. Um, then I'm sure like, you know, then I'm sure he could, I don't know, hire somebody like John Lucas. John Lucas is always very good at this former NBA player of mentoring these troubled kids uh, when they get off center. Um, I'm sure he would help him get ready for the draft, but aren't there better options out there? And, and, and maybe the better option is just returning to Western Kentucky and being a hilltopper for a year. So much like we tweeted out, we hope that he grabs a, a pencil, a, a notebook, a practice jersey, um, and then uh, like we grab uh, watching him on TV when his suspension is done. And we can enjoy him uh, this season as a college basketball player and, and applaud his efforts and applaud him for making the right decision to come back to school. So there we are. Um, so he's back where he started. I mean, that's a very odd Hamiltonian path. Um, and, you know, maybe paired with uh, Tavion Hollingsworth, who was Mr. Basketball in Kentucky. He scored a ton of points. Holy smokes. And they have a few of those impact transfers that we talked about um, on uh, a previous podcast. Maybe the Hilltoppers will be good. Maybe they'll be really good. Maybe they'll be one of the favorites in Conference USA and Challenge Middle Tennessee. Um, We'll see. Uh, But we hope that his path comes to a a happy closing and he can just be a productive student athlete uh, for the one year, uh, potentially, that he's going to spend in college. Wouldn't it be, Mike, I'm just going to throw it out there. Wouldn't it be crazy if he plays this year and then he decides to stay for his sophomore year? Yeah, I think it'd be a smart move, and and I think that this is a guy you root for, and you see if he comes back. I mean, depending on how his freshman year goes, I mean, I just can't I can't anticipate being dominant after this. But let's see what happens. But yeah, this is the type of guy who should come back. Absolutely, I, I think that would be like the the perfect ending, and then you know he they come back, make the tournament, uh, maybe don't win a game, and then maybe he comes back, and then they blow up the following year. I think that would be an interesting dynamic and an interesting turn to the story. Um, and then the last thing we'll talk about has to do with Mitchell Robinson as well. Um, and we'll just talk about, um, like, what's the right decision for these guys, these one-and-done guys, these top 10-ish um, recruits that are coming in? Like, where should they end up going, right? Um, we, why are we changing the script? Like, why is Mitchell Robinson going to West Kentucky um, and, and having all this drama surround him and, and this cloud of uncertainty? Like, wouldn't it just be... Wouldn't it just be more advantageous to go to a university or a college and then be locked in at that college? Like, so think of like, uh, uh, how did it work out for Fultz in Washington? Was that okay? Was were people disappointed they didn't win more games? Were people disappointed that he didn't play the whole entire season and was injury ridden towards the end? I, I don't know. That didn't seem to work out perfectly. Um, how about Ben Simmons in LSU? I mean, how we could not get off the story of LSU not making the tournament that year, right? And how disappointing it was that Ben Simmons couldn't carry his team into the NCAA tournament. We didn't have the opportunity to watch him. It was like all college basketball fans are like sour grapes over Ben Simmons' college basketball like uh, adventure. Um, 
And Mitchell Robinson is just like a messier story thus far. But but how about some places where they got it right? One of the places that's a surprise where they got it right is Gonzaga, right? You mentioned Gonzaga before. Uh, I think it's Zach Collins. Zach Collins ends up being a lottery pick, and he didn't even start for his team. So Gonzaga seemed to have this high uh, profile crew coming in uh, and got it right, and they didn't even have to start him. So somehow they figured that out. Uh, of course, uh, the Big Dipper, Kentucky, um, as Mike likes to call it. I mean, they, they've had top 10 pick after top 10 pick after top 10 pick. Uh, uh, time after time, Coach Cal knows what to do to get his players developed and get them picked in the proper place for the NBA draft. Um, Duke, they had top three picks in the past three years, Okafor, Ingram, and Tatum. So obviously Coach K knows something about taking in top prospects and making them appealing for NBA programs. So you can look at Wiggs and Embiid and Josh Jackson, even McLemore and Thomas Robinson. They were all top 10 selections. So you look at those places, and maybe we can even take a look at Arizona at this point. Like after this year, I'm sure Arizona will have a player, uh, DeAndre Ayton, that you really love, uh, chosen in the top three probably. So like why not get it right and go with a coach that has NBA knowledge, right? So here are some other places that Mike and I were thinking about that would make sense, right? Mike, how about Oklahoma with, with Kruger? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it does. And the, this is the type of guys who get it right. I mean, listen, if you're a dominant impact freshman and you have a tremendous year, I mean, you can say what you want about Ben Simmons. He was dominant. He came in. He had no interest to pee here in college whatsoever. He didn't play in the postseason tournament. Sure seen him in the NBA. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who leaves early gets injured. This is normal. What I'm saying is I think it takes a while for their body to develop. And I am not surprised that when a player goes from college to the NBA, oftentimes they get hurt or they don't play the entire season because their body is going through a dramatic change. So I need that. I think they need to stay in college until they are physically ready. I think they need to stay in college until their talent is ready. And I also think they need to stay in college until they are emotionally and mentally ready. And that whole component is a key. You talk about Mark Few, he gets his players ready. You talk about Lon Kruger, another guy. He's been to multiple NCAA tournaments with three teams, four teams, whatever it is. Those are the type of coaches that you put your your kid in in the hands of and you trust. Um, Just a couple other places that we were thinking about off the top of our heads where uh, these players might be better suited. How about uh, Nevada with Coach Musselman? He's had NBA experience. He knows what it's like in the big league. Uh, he's probably going to have a giant year this year. We've talked about them on uh, multiple times on a couple of podcasts in the past. Uh, how about Houston? Um, we mentioned how uh, Coach Sampson has had some NBA uh, assistant experience. Like, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to go visit uh, Guy B. Lewis Arena. Um, how about Louisville with Coach Patino? I mean, even though he didn't hit a home run with the Celtics, he does have NBA experience. How about St. John's with with Coach Mullen? I mean, he was a, he was a, an executive in the in the, in the NBA, uh, so and and you know a dream teamer. So like, why wouldn't you want to go play with him? How about uh, maybe a little under the radar? How about Grand Canyon University with Dan Thunder Marley as your head coach? That wouldn't be that. Yeah, oh, dear lord. <laughs> I, I knew you'd have a little something to say about that. Uh, full disclosure, folks, I, I was a huge, still am a huge Charles Barkley fan, and right. I'm still convinced they should have won that 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 uh, NBA title in '93. Uh, it would have been Jordan on the road in a Game Seven. I don't know if that would have changed anything, but it certainly would right. have been interesting. Um, and Thunder Dan just did not perform well there. Barkley played great. I mean, Richard Dumas. Uh, why do you have to go, Oliver Miller? Why are we going here, Gus? I don't want to talk. About I'm sorry. Uh, maybe Alabama with uh, the little general. Uh, he had great NBA success uh, with both uh, as a player and a coach. Um, maybe you want to think about UCLA with Coach Alford. Uh, maybe even Dayton, uh, where he was an assistant coach with uh, OKC. Maybe Georgetown with Pat Ewing. 
Or how about even, uh, you know, Leonard Hamilton in Florida State? Like, it seems like any one of those places would be a more logical choice than maybe LSU or Washington or, in this case, Western Kentucky, just because the coach that's going to be in your ear every day of the season, it has NBA experience on some level. That would just make more sense. So even if it's not one of the blue bloods, like we mentioned, like uh, Kentucky, Duke, uh, Kansas, maybe even Arizona, and we mentioned Gonzaga this past year with Zach Collins. Um, why not go to one of those other places where you're going to get legit NBA experience from your head coach uh, who's had experience as a player, uh, as a, an assistant coach, or even as a head coach, or maybe even uh, the front office? Like It just seems like it, make, it would make better sense. So those are some of our other options for those uh, you know, other top 20-ish recruits that might be listening to the Screen the Screener podcast out there. Um, Mike, anything else you want to mention to the folks out there? No, uh, we're very good. We Again, we can always appreciate the iTunes reviews, guys. Reviews and comments, please. It helps us tremendously. Uh, very excited. we got some big things, like we've said, rolling out for you. We bring you a podcast. It will be posted every Monday morning and every Thursday morning from here until the season begins. And then once that starts, maybe we'll get a couple uh, extra ones in here and there. But some real exciting times for Screen the Screener. Things are doing well. Uh, you know, certainly we're getting a lot more attention, a lot more traffic, both on Twitter, on Google, and the whole thing. So we can't thank you enough. If you love it, keep coming back, shoot us a rating, uh, and we appreciate it. Hey, uh, speaking of those ratings, we just want to uh, throw out a couple of ahoys out there. Uh, ahoy out there. Uh, we received one review from Racketologist3. Thanks for finding us. Keep, please keep listening in. So glad that you're tuned in. Also, another great review from What Are the Chances 31. Um, thank you for calling us hosts in your review. That's totally cool. Um, you know what the only thing better than uh, an August college basketball hoops review is? Like a couple of more reviews in early September. So if you don't mind hitting us up, that'd be great. Uh, thank you guys for the reviews. And we just want to say a little Twitter ahoy out there at college, T-O-W-N, college town. Uh, enjoy the start of football. And we want to say ahoy out there at Marisa 21 Costa Rica is just beautiful. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for finding us. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for carving out some time for the Screen the Screener podcast. We didn't mean for this to be um, uh, necessarily a sad podcast, but we thought the subject matter was appropriate uh, and we thought it would it was important to bring it to your attention. So we hope you don't mind uh, us walking down memory lane a little bit and giving you a little recap on some of the two, the two of the greats that we lost and, and the crisis that's happening in, in currently in Houston.